Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We are chosen. We're not forsaken. We are all that God says we are. Amen? Amen. What does God speak over our lives? And that is what we're talking about today. These last few weeks, we've been covering uh, a key section of Scripture in the New Testament, Romans 5 through 8, and we're talking about how to live in this resurrected hope. We just celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about living in the hope of resurrection, but now that we have been set free, there's a process of us learning to walk in that freedom. And that's why today we're going to be talking about not only just the freedom and grace of God, but also the boundaries, the things that are put in place by God to keep us safe and to keep us growing and to keep us experiencing the grace and freedom of God. So I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. There's a Bible in front of you. If you brought your Bibles on your smart smart device, whatever, uh, however you get there, let's get to Romans 6 and take a look at what the Word of God has to say for us today. I believe that um, today there are three different groups of people that are sitting here today, and you may be in one of these categories, you might be in all of these categories, but I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us today in one of three areas. And this is what they are. I believe that there are some of us that are walking in, in not yet experiencing the freedom of God. We have been enslaved in patterns, and the Lord wants to set us free today. I believe that there are some that because of those patterns in our lives, some of us are experiencing shame. And that is something that the Lord wants us to set us free in. God does not want us to be experiencing shame. He wants us to be experiencing freedom and the grace and living within that. And I also believe that there are those of us in in this room today who are being tempted to move the boundaries in our life. That God has established some limits and some protections and some borders. And we're being tempted to just edge over. And so if that is you today, I would encourage you even now, if you had just a little tug in your heart that just said, "Mm, might be me, listen to that. That is the voice of the Holy Spirit that brings us conviction to it for the purpose of healing us, for the purpose of setting us free. So don't ignore it, but just begin to think and to ask the Lord to show you today what God wants to speak to us because he has a word for us. We come here each week, not just out of habit, Why do we come? We come to experience the presence of God together, and we come to be changed. That's why we hear the word of God and why we allow it to speak to us, because we don't want to walk out of this place in the same condition that we came in. Amen? Amen. So last week, we started in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and this was a key scripture and the key thought, and it is simply this. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And then he continues by saying, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives so we are no longer slaves to sin. No longer slaves to sin. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive 
to God through Christ Jesus. That's what we call the series, Raised to Life. We have been buried. Our old life has been crucified with Christ, and now we are experiencing this resurrection life, and we are alive to God because of the work of Christ Jesus. So verse 12 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires, because verse 14 says, Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And now we pick up this week with verse 15. And it's another central idea, another rhetorical question. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Kind of a similar thought to verse 1. Can we keep on sinning so that we can experience more of God's grace? And now he just kind of rephrases that. Since God has set us free... Does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Now let's read this verse together. It's starting at, don't you realize, okay? Because this is a key thought. This is a key verse for us to, to really focus in on today. Let's read it together. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Okay, you can be a slave to sin, that's going to lead you to death, or you can be a slave to righteousness, and that's going to lead to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? What was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But verse 22 says this, but now, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. And let's read this last verse together. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's read that one more time. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So today we're going to be looking at the three O's. Ownership, options, and opportunity. Ownership. Who owns us? We can either be slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And that leads us down a couple of choices that we have. Those are our options. And we'll see how that plays out. And then finally, we look at that opportunity that all of us have, this equal opportunity to experience the grace of God. We all have equal opportunity access to it, and we want to live in that. So this issue of ownership, who owns me? Paul addresses this in verses 15 through 18 of Romans chapter 6. He says you can either be a slave to sin or you can become a slave to righteousness. But you need to realize this, that you will become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. 
So whoever has the greater voice in your life, whoever places the rights of ownership or exercises the rights of ownership in your life will have the greater voice in your life. And whoever owns you, whatever owns you, is going to dictate which direction you're going to follow. We live in a beautiful, wide-open, gracious space of grace. When we receive the gift of God, it's like this covering that just completely surrounds us so that we experience the freedom. And within that grace covering, we have freedom to, we have freedom to move. We have freedom to live. We have freedom to experience all the joy, all the privileges, everything that comes within that covering of grace. But Paul cautions us here. He says, but does that mean I can keep living any way that I want to live because I'm covered by grace? And he says, no, you can't. There are some boundaries to grace. Now, grace we think of as, oh, it's a free gift. It's this. You've been set free. You can do that. Yes, you have within the covering of grace because liberty is not lawless. Liberty is not lawless. Now, we enjoy the freedom of living in a country that is recognized worldwide as being a symbol of freedom. But we do not live in a lawless nation. We have laws that protect us so that our rights and our privileges are protected. We live within a grace covering. That's an illustration. We live within a free nation that has laws that protect us, okay? So we understand that in that that particular sense. So now let's apply that to our spiritual lives. We've been set free from those tedious rules and all of the requirements of the law that were pretty much impossible for one person to, to, to live within. And there wasn't a sense of freedom within that. But we've been set free be, through grace by faith because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's why Ephesians 2.8 says it's by grace that we've been saved. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. And now we belong to God. When we accept that gift of God, we become his children and we belong to him. And it says in Romans 8, 16, that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. His spirit testifies that we are his children. We become his children. We belong to him. And that's what Isaiah 43, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 1 says, now listen to the Lord who created you. You're not just the property of God. You're not just a thing or a person to be used, but now he has said, I created you. I formed you. Can you feel the loving intention behind those words? I've created you. I've thought about your life. I've formed you. I've ransomed you. That means I've bought you back from a position of helpless slavery. I've ransomed you. You are mine. I've called you by name, you are mine. And Jesus, as he was preparing to leave, said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans because when I leave, I'm going to ask the Father to send someone to you, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And it said that he will be an advocate for us who will never leave us, John 14, 16 through 18, says that he will live with you now, but he will live in you later. And that's when he sent the, the Holy Spirit to us on the day of Pentecost, so the Holy Spirit could take up residence within our lives. And he said, I will not abandon you as orphans. Why? Because we now belong to God. 
And because Jesus has done his finished work, the Holy Spirit now comes. And when we receive that gift of salvation, his spirit lives within us. And so that rule-based living we experienced is now replaced by having the law of God written on our hearts. And the Holy Spirit now begins to teach us and to instruct us. And we hear his voice in, in these words, in this Bible. And as we read those words, his words become life to us because now he's written his law in our hearts. And so now he doesn't have to just say, follow this set of rules. Instead, he says, listen to my voice. Because the person of the Holy Spirit lives within us. And he shows us and teaches us and guides us into all truth. So his law is now written on our hearts because he owns us. We belong to God. We belong to him. And this is Paul's point. Who or what we listen to, who or what we obey, reveals the real ownership of our lives. We can either be slaves to sin or we can become submissive to the Savior. The Savior is the one who rescues us from our condition, who ransoms us, who buys us back. We belong to the Savior now. And so because of that, we don't want to live in a position of slavery to sin that leads to dead ends and death anymore. We've already experienced that, and that didn't work for us, right? We want to live and become obedient to the work of the Spirit in our life, and that submission and obedience to God now leads to a fruitful life, to abundant life, and to freedom. Who wants to experience that? I do. And that's why in Galatians 5, chapter 1, or verse, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 1 and 13, it said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Jesus said he came to give us life, abundant life, life to the full. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is what we experienced before we walked in freedom. But now that Jesus has come, he said, I've come to give you life. Now walk in that freedom, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. When we surrender our lives, the ownership of our lives transfers because we now belong to God. Which leads us now to the two options that Paul talks about in this passage. In verses 19 through 21, and he says, I'm going to use a familiar example to help that reader. Now, this is not so much of a familiar example to us because we have a cultural context for what the word slavery represents. But slavery in the cultural context that his reader would have understood was very different. And it looked something like this. Um, let's, say, let's say you have a debt that needs to be paid. Or maybe you get an unexpected hospital bill. Or maybe your kids are in college, and, you, <laughs> and you, need to, you, need, you need to pick up a little side hustle, okay? So because of this thing that I need to take care of, I might add an extra job or do something like that. That's something that we could kind of understand in our culture. But in that culture, it was called slavery. And upwards of two-thirds of the citizens of Rome were slaves because they voluntarily sold themselves into slavery to repay a debt, to do something that they could do. Now, we do this in very simple ways. Um, in the summer of 1989, I agreed to some terms, signed my name, and was handed a little piece of plastic called a driver's license. Okay? I agreed to the rules and to the laws and to uphold that, and I signed my name to it. And then in exchange, I was handed a card that said, okay, now you can be free 
to drive and enjoy the freedom of driving. Anybody else have a driver's license in the room and enjoy that freedom? Okay, that's a really simple way. In 1992, I also accepted some voluntary terms. It was called marriage. And, <laughs> and the terms of that agreement, because I wanted to enjoy all the privileges, rights, and responsibilities of marriage, came with me agreeing to those terms before God and before a crowd of witnesses, and we signed our names to an, a document that hangs in our hallway now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, I didn't become the property of this man, and he didn't become the property of me, but now we belong to one another, and we exercise the, the joy of an experience of, that you find in Ephesians 5, when it says that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what that position of belonging feels like. When I say, yes, I'm going to agree to these terms, I agree to give my life for this person, and I let myself enter into that covenant of marriage, now I get to enjoy all that comes along with that. Does that make sense? All of us, um, at some point or another, whether you experience this now or you will, will experience something called employment. And in 1994, I started working for a credit union for the TWA employees. Anybody know what TWA is? Okay, it's an airline that does not even exist anymore. The <laughs> Transworld Airline Employees. We lived in Kansas City, Missouri, and I worked at a credit union that is now Community America Credit Union. And that was the very first time that I had accepted a full-time job offer. And I was so excited, right after college and just kind of in this in-between space. And I agreed to the terms of my employment. And I signed a document, and I said, yes, I agree to do that. And because of that, I started collecting a paycheck, and that was really nice. Okay? Those are some really simple ways that illustrate something in our cultural context that might make this a little more understandable. Now, Paul is dealing with a lot of people that are, are trying to understand what this means, and he uses a familiar example to help them understand that. But notice what he talks about in verse 19. This is really important. Verse 19 of, of Romans 6 says, Now, previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness. You allowed this to happen. This was a voluntary decision. Now, you must give yourselves, again, a voluntary action. You allowed yourselves to be enslaved to impurity and lawlessness, but now you need to give yourselves to righteous living. And that's what he's encouraging them to do so that you can become holy. But notice, it is voluntary. You let yourselves, so now you must give yourselves. So think of all the ways we choose bondage or enslavement over freedom. In your relationships, in your attitudes, in your actions, what are those ways? Just put something in your mind right now. Maybe there's something that immediately comes to your mind where you are personally tempted to become enslaved. Or maybe you've been enslaved in the past and God has set you free, but you keep coming back to this thing. This thing. Put that thing in your mind. Maybe write it down on your listening guide. Whatever that is, just hold that in your mind for a minute. Now, there are two possible outcomes of our choice. We can become slaves to impurity or lawlessness, or we can become slaves to righteous living. And in the message, that same verse, verse 19 says, you can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, 
not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became. That was one option. Not caring about what God had to say, not caring about what other people had to say, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different it is now as you live in God's freedom. Your lives are healed and expansive in holiness. Not just healed, but growing. That's the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. So you can choose deeper sin and destruction. You can choose those dead ends, those those roads that are going to lead you nowhere and restricted freedom. Or you can choose to walk in the freedom, the healing, and the holiness of God. That's what we're invited into. So the question, as you think about that thing, that place where you're tempted to become enslaved again and again, maybe you've been set free and you're back there again, or maybe you're there right now and you're making choices. Is this thing that I'm holding on to, that I'm choosing to listen to, choosing to obey, is it leading me toward greater dependence on God? Or is it leading me to greater dependence on the thing that I've chosen? Which is it? Am I holding on to that thing that's leading me to a greater dependence on God? Or is it leading me into greater dependence on that thing or that substance or that relationship? Whatever that is that's causing you to think about that. Where is it leading you? That's why we have the boundaries of grace. That's why Paul says you can't just do anything you feel like doing just because you've been set free. He said there's another way to live that is going to keep you enjoying the benefits of boundaries. Boundaries have benefits for us. Boundaries give us safety. They give us freedom. If you think about an artist who's commissioned to do a work, when that artist begins, they said you can create whatever you want. A good artist is going to first stop and ask a few questions. Was it for something that's indoor or outdoor? What size? Are there are there, um, a, is there a certain subject matter I need to explore? What's the medium? You know, there are certain things that define the, the parameters of that project. And within those parameters, within those boundaries, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of grace. And that person can actually be encouraged by those boundaries to create within that. But there's a structure to it. There are very few times in our lives that it's like, hey, just do whatever you want. And whatever you come up with is great. There are parameters that define that, and that gives us safety and freedom. Boundaries also help us honor limits and provide protection for us. Boundaries also show gratitude for the giver and the gifts. If God gives, gives, like the children of Israel, he gave them land, and he said, I want you to enjoy that, but stay within what I've given you. You honor the giver of the gift when you receive the gift, and you use the gift in the way it's intended to be enjoyed. When we honor that, we we express gratitude for the giver and the gift. But we all have a temptation, and this is the same temptation that children of Israel had, and that's to move the boundary stone. That's actually a picture of a boundary marker. You can see it on the lower part. It looks like it has some writing etched into it. Um, There's Greek and Hebrew on that. And when you see that stone, that was uh, called the Gazer Stone. And these were some of the boundary markers that were found about a, about 100 years ago as part of the key, um, a key archaeological find. But that's kind of an example of a boundary stone. If you're just walking around in the forest, but you're not necessarily looking for the boundary stone, you might miss it. How easy would it be to just step over that boundary stone, too, and go to one side or the other? Pretty easy. 
But God said five times in the Old Testament, don't move the boundary stone. Don't move the boundary stone. And we all have those temptations to move boundary stones in our life that give us freedom and protection. It's those boundary stones. He said, don't move it. It was set up by your predecessors in the inheritance. Notice that. It's an inheritance. That's a good thing. If somebody says, you're going to inherit this, this land or this property or this money, we would be so thrilled. You're going to inherit this land that God is giving to you. He says, this is a good gift for you to enjoy. So here is this gift. Enjoy it, but don't move the boundaries of what I've given you to enjoy. He also said in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. And notice Proverbs twenty-three ten: don't move the ancient boundary stone or encroach, encroach on the fields of the fatherless for their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. When we encroach, On another person's land, we are not walking in freedom. We are walking in theft. And the Bible was pretty clear about that. We don't have the freedom to encroach on another person's property. That's trespassing. That's stealing. That's disturbing them. That's intrusion. We don't have that right. But we're all tempted to move those boundary markers just a little bit. Just a little bit of this is not going to hurt me. Or maybe I can do this. Or have a little bit of this person in my life. We all have these temptations. I mean, name the situation. We have it. And we all have those temptations to move the boundary stones. But there's a caution in God's word about not doing it. It's not worth it. When we move the boundary stones, we're either encroaching on somebody else's land. Or we become the recipient of someone else's encroachment. And we have all been, we've all experienced that. Times when we have taken something that didn't belong to us, that wasn't ours to take, or we're dealing with the consequences of somebody else's taking something from us that wasn't theirs to take. And it hurts either way. It hurts us, it hurts the people that we love. And that's why God says, don't do it. Whatever that thing is in your mind, where you're tempted to become enslaved or to keep in that pattern, it's going to rob from you and it's going to rob from others. So don't do it. Don't move the boundary stones. See, when the boundary stones of grace are moved, we feel shame. All of us experience that. There's a lot of work right now and a lot of talk about this issue of shame. Um, there are TED Talks. There are books. It's, a, it's part of just our, our public conversation because a certain group of people, certain people, individuals, have named something that we all experience. Who in here has not felt shame? Anybody? Not a person. Because there are all things in our lives that we experience from time to time that are like, oh, if I had it over to do again, I would not have chosen that. Or if only I could... Or why did I? Or you're no good because you thought this or you did this. We all experienced those voices of shame. And as much good work as there is out there about it, I want you to know that God's word is not silent on this issue. God's word is filled from the opening pages of scripture all the way through the raw, unedited narratives of the stories of the people that are in this Bible. God's word is not silent on the issue of shame. And just to pull one example, I want us to think about the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve moved some boundary stones. God had given them every tree in the garden. Notice Genesis chapter 2. It said, you may freely eat 
enjoy that freedom of any tree in this garden except, except one. And he told them exactly why. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now keep in mind, they already were experiencing all the good, right? They had relationship with God. They walked with him in the cool of the evening. They had everything in a beautiful garden that was created for them. They had relationship with each other. They had unbroken fellowship with God. They had every good thing already. But he said, but the one thing you're missing is the knowledge of good and evil. And somehow they thought that that might be something that maybe they need to experience. So in chapter 3, Satan tempts them with a question. Did God really say, move the boundary stone? Did God really say you can't have that one thing? Talk about the ultimate case of the fear of missing out, okay? That's the ultimate case of FOMO. (laughs) I'm missing something. Maybe there's something there that God would deprive me, which leads them to that second part of, did God really say? It digs down at that issue of, do I really trust God? If God gives me good things to enjoy, can I trust him? And Satan said, your eyes are going to be open, and he knows that you're going to be like him. It was a trust test rooted in a lie, And that's how it works for us, too. And so the tree was beautiful, and it looked delicious, and so they ate. But verse 7 of chapter 3 says this, But at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. They suddenly felt shame. And they hid their their nakedness. They, They hid from each other. They hid from God. They tried to cover up this new awareness of the knowledge of good and evil and their nakedness by just sewing together something that could never last, these leaves, and this kind of, you know, shabby, chic (laughs) kind of look. They tried to sew this thing together to cover it. There's nothing that could last. And that's what Satan does for us. Did God really say, move that stone? Maybe there's something there that you're missing out. Can God really be trusted? But you can be sure that as soon as you do that, that's going to lead you into greater hiding and greater shame. And that's not how God wants us to live. So that area that you're thinking about, that you've been thinking about for the last few minutes, where, God is tem- where you are being tempted to push back the boundary stones, ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? What are the thoughts that are going through my mind? Does any of it sound like any of these things? Did God really say? Is it really going to hurt? Maybe there's something you're missing out on. It won't really be that bad because all it's going to be is you're going to know about good and evil. Is, it, is there a minimization that's happening? Bring that to mind. And ask yourself, am I feeling convicted about this or am I feeling condemned? You see, the Holy Spirit's role in us when he lives in us is that he said he would be a convictor. He would lead us and guide us into old truth and he would convict the world of sin. And that's a good thing. Conviction just says you're guilty. Yep, you did the wrong thing. You messed up. And that's a really important step of ownership. When we mess up, we need to own it. God, I did that. God, please forgive me. That's an exception of guilt. I believe that I'm guilty and I receive and and I see that and I'm going to change my ways. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. And he does it in such a loving way. It's just like, oh, Steph, come on. Don't do that. You know, and his voice is so gentle in leading us. But when I hear a different voice that sounds like condemnation and shame, it becomes much more personal. Steph, you blew it again. You're never going to get this right. Well, you've already done that much, so you may as well just finish all the rest of it. You know, I mean, whatever that area is, 
Satan will tempt you to go one step further or say, you know what, it really didn't matter, or then we'll just turn it around and just point the accusing finger at you and say, you're no good, you've blown it, why even try, it's never going to get better. That's a voice that's very personal, and that's the hardest one to deal with, but we've got to recognize the two different voices, one that leads us more into the life-giving freedom of Christ or one that takes us further and further away and more dependent Less dependent on God and more dependent on someone else. So which voice am I hearing, conviction or shame? Conviction or condemnation? Lewis Smedes wrote a book called Shame and Grace that I highly recommend. And and in that book, he said, It may be that all the shame we feel inwardly, alone in the privacy of our souls, is rooted in the fear of being shamed by other people. And for this reason, the simplest of all remedies for shame is the discovery that we are, in spite of everything... In spite of everything, we are accepted by the grace of someone we most need to accept us. Isn't that true? That is the remedy that is provided for because of the work of Jesus Christ. The one that we most need to accept us has already spoken his forgiveness and has covered our shame. That's the picture in the garden. When God sacrificed an animal and took the skin and created garments that could cover their shame. That's the picture of what Jesus does for us. He took our sin, became the sacrifice, so that his sacrifice could cover those areas of shame and brokenness, so we can find healing. God accepts us, and because of his acceptance and his gift of salvation, it makes it possible for us to experience grace, and that's why we have an equal opportunity access We have the opportunity to experience the grace of God today. That's why that thing that's in your mind doesn't have to keep rolling around in your mind. There is a way out of it. There's a way of escape. And so Paul presents those opportunities in verses 22 and 23 when he says, But now, but now, you are free. Let's read this verse together. But now, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. But now you are free. The message puts it this way. A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more of life on the way. I love that. More and more of life on the way. A whole, healed, put-together life. That's what we experience when we move into the freedom of God. When I experience the forgiveness, grace, and mercy of God, when I accept that gift of salvation, sin loses its power over me. Sin loses. I win (laughs) because of Jesus' work. Sin loses its power over me. Life starts to get better. Life gets better and better, both now and eternally. There's more that God has for each of us. And we learn to live within the boundaries of grace. This is how we learn how to walk out that freedom. And we begin to find contentment in that. I'd like to read to you Psalm chapter 16. And this is one I have in your listening guides that you can meditate on. If this is something you need to just soak in for a while. Psalm 16 is one of my very, very favorite psalms on this. And it said, keep me safe, my God. Keep me safe, my God. For in you, I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from God, we have no good thing. Verse 5 of chapter 16 said, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. 
You're the cup that holds all the portion that you want to pour in. You're the form and you're the substance. You are my portion and my cup and you make my lot secure. There's that protection of boundaries. Verse 6 of chapter 16, the psalm. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. The boundary lines for me are in pleasant places. That's the contentment that we feel when we live within the boundaries of grace. And this is how we experience the abundant, whole, healed, put-together life with more and more on the way that, that Paul talks about. Verse 7 said, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night, even when I'm unaware, even when I'm sleeping and trusting that the Lord is protecting me, guiding me, leading me, restoring me. Even in the night, my heart instructs me. Has anybody ever experienced that? Or even as you're sleeping, there's just like an idea or there's some bit of knowledge or something that the Lord just kind of reveals to you. Even at night, my heart instructs me, so I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, because of that, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure. My body can rest secure in that. Verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the contentment we find when we live within the boundaries of grace. Because verse 23 says, there's a difference between the gift and the wages. The wages, what I deserve, what I've earned, is death. But now, the gift of God, something I don't deserve, something I haven't earned, the thing we call grace, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace covers our failures. Grace is initiated by God and paid for through Jesus. And Lewis Smedes, continuing in that book on shame and grace, said, first I feel shame, that, that knowledge, when I failed. And that painful dissatisfaction with what I am when I get a clearer look at, my, at the self I'm meant to be. But when God tells me he loves me, his grace heals the shame And I feel more worthy than I did before. The very pain, that realization of my failure, is the onset of healing. That thing that I thought would bury me now becomes a doorway of hope in my life so I can live in that resurrection of life. For grace overcomes the contrast and makes me feel more worthy than if I had never felt the shame. Isn't that beautiful? But when God tells me he loves me, his grace heals my shame. So grace is a gift for each of us to receive. So we need to receive it and learn to live freely within those boundaries. And so as we conclude, I'd love to just encourage you to reflect for a few minutes. And let's pray for one another. Let's spend a few minutes praying. God, we thank you for the healing and grace and forgiveness that we have because of your son, Jesus. Lord, because of your good work in our lives, Lord, we don't have to walk in shame anymore. We don't have to be enslaved and entrapped by the, by the schemes of the enemy. We don't have to give him one more bit of ground in our life. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, open up our eyes to see the richness 
Lord, of what you have given to us, Lord, the inheritance of all that is good in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would restore the boundaries where they've been broken down. God, that you would forgive us of our sin, and Lord, not just forgive us, but Lord, remove the guilt, remove the shame that's attached with it. God, help us to walk in freedom. Lord, I pray that wherever those boundary stones are being moved, God, I pray that you would help us by your grace to move those boundaries back in place so that we can enjoy freedom and wholeness in you, God. Lord, wherever those boundaries are being broken or stepped or or tempted to, Lord, maybe we're being uh, tempted, Lord, to, to lose our contentment in what you've provided for us. God, we just acknowledge it. We name it in your presence and ask you to heal those places in us. Lord, do your work of healing in our lives, we pray. Do your work of healing, we pray. 